Absolute Rally, powered by the Kielder Works team. Cordless tools tailored for the world of motorsport. Hello everyone, welcome to Absolute Rally. Episode 1, season 21, yes, a staggering 21 seasons, which Jack Bengen likes to mock me and how I work out the season numbers. If you go back, they all make sense, Jack Bengen. Is that okay? I think they all made sense. I was just taking the mic. Yeah, I know you was. I know you was. Uh, it's just, just you and me at the top, Jack Bengen. Hello. Hello. Thanks for having me back. <laughs> Thanks for having me back. I think that, that, that ship's long since sailed, mate, to be honest with you. <laughs> that ship's long since sailed. Uh, so we are all back in a very weird way. Uh, Jack Bengen and me are at the top. Um, we've got, I'll tell you what's coming up now. It sounds almost professional when I do it this way. So in the middle section, we've got John Desborough and Ryan Champion. And we're talking about John Desborough's book uh, or books that he's bringing out, which is a kind of, um, it's a, it's a fiction slash reality of all his years in WRC. And he's, he's wrote some bits and pieces and he's got some ebooks coming out. Um, listen, it's, it's a great piece. And for the first time ever, we actually use video conferencing. Uh, even though it means absolutely nothing for a podcast because you can't see it, but it was good fun nevertheless. Uh, and is, right uh, at the end, is, is, is Dungannon's finest mentioned in his book? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I think he might be. Or let's put it this way: um, I think there might be some reference to it, knowing John and his mischievous streak that he has. Let's put it that way. Um, and uh, just to finish off the podcast, we've got Julian Porter joining us uh, from Latvia alongside the test, test stage. You actually have rally cars and everything. It's amazing. Uh, we look back at uh, the first uh, FIA sanctioned event um, since Rally Mexico and, and what measures were taken and how rallying was um, over in Rome and uh, obviously getting ERC underway. So, yeah, so it's just Jack and me at the top, just just. Generally, just bedding ourselves back in, Jack, because we've been missing for five weeks, and last season was a bit of an oddball season anyway. So you are safe and well in your new shiny studio, which you've just shared with everybody on Instagram. Well, when you say everybody, uh, I haven't got that many <laughs> followers. <laughs> but yeah, it's, um, I, I'm a bit warm, I'll, I'll say that much. But uh, yeah, looking forward to uh, another season of Absolute Rally, and uh, I think you set it up really well at the start there by telling everyone what their... Um, what they're waiting around for, listen to this rubbish bit for, because uh, at least there's something to uh, enjoy later on in the podcast. They can always press that forward thing, that, that th- plus 30. Oh, I've forgotten about that. Yeah. Oh, now you've just reminded everyone. No yeah. one's going to hear this now. We can say whatever we want. Do you know, do you know and I'll, I'll, I'll smoke and mirrors here, uh, James Muir, Jimbo Muir, who I used to do Total Rally with, and of course did WRC Radio and everything else, who's still a very, very good friend of mine. He's now a very high high-level TV producer for BT Sport. Um, he still listens from time to time, but he listens, He openly admits to me, I just listen to it at double speed. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. i tell you what, I've got, um, I, I can I can ma- kind of match that because obviously uh, with the smoke and mirrors, everyone knows I'm doing quite a lot of roundy-roundy these days. No. And, uh, when, I, when I got in touch with the, um, the Indy 500 press officer at, at Indianapolis, he um, he actually recognised me for Absolute Rally, uh, Paul, Paul Kelly. Is a, a listener of Absolute Rally. The the guy who looks after media at Indianapolis. And uh, wow. if you're listening, Paul, uh, looking forward to a, a good two weeks uh, just before the Indy 500 with you. And uh, thanks for listening to Absolute Rally. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. How you managed to actually plug yourself uh, in your other world and still manage to mention Absolute Rally? That's that, there was a stroke of genius in, in that little piece there. Well done, Jack Banyan. Well, I'll I'll leave that to you to decide. Uh, thanks, mate. Thanks. Um, rallying is 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 got a new dawn coming, Jack. Um, you know, obviously we've got Julian talking about it a little bit later on, but um, I've been equally as excited as more intrigued, I suppose, of of how rallying is going to be. Now I'm doing this 
uh, M Sport returns to rallying, which is in Greystoke in two weeks' time. Uh, and funny enough, I've just been doing all the paperwork for it. And, you know, there's, uh, it's self-scrutineering, you know, you sign online and things like that. I just wonder whether this, this is actually now going to go beyond kind of COVID, whether this, the way we go rallying and the way we're seeing rallying almost evolved, because let's be honest, it's been relatively antiquated. It's been relatively the same probably for near on 30, 40 years. Um, of signing on for rallies and all that stuff um for, for you know at, at every level really i just wonder whether this this is you know i hate the term because it came about during covid the new norm but i just wonder whether you know rallying's getting a bit of a shake up perhaps it was due anyway well i think uh, if anyone's listened to me on the absolute rally podcast in the past few years you know i'm definitely an exponent for change and um you know i think we've had too many events in in the uk over the past few years i think it thins the entry uh, you know and i think that's really hurting rallying but you know covid a terrible thing we don't need to go into the the negatives of it but um you know some of the things that might come about from it is you know forcing a bit of change and we've seen other motorsports not learn that lesson um you know, we've we've seen Formula One miss the opportunity to have reverse grid races at Silverstone, which was you know a, a big missed opportunity for them. Um, you know, and they're the you know theoretically, you know in terms of money at least the the biggest motorsport championship out there. So yeah, this is a great opportunity for for all levels of rallying. You know, both international and grassroots to really you know try some new things. And you know, uh, you know, I was really excited to hear about the M Sport event. Very much looking forward to to hearing the views of the West Cumbria and, and Eden Valley Motor Clubs who are helping to run that event as well, because they're going to be the first you know grassroots organisers who who get the opportunity to organise an event in in these circumstances. So yeah, like you said, Tony, really interested to see how the you know the kind of self scrutineering and all that kind of works. You know, you'll be you'll be great to talk about that on the on the next episode and and you know how that works exactly. Um, you know, from an outside perspective, sounds a bit unusual, but I'm sure it'll you know it'll work fine if it's being implemented by M Sport. You know, whenever they do something, it's proper. Um, you know they don't you know commit themselves to uh, to things that don't work or, or risky things. So you know I'm sure it's going to be a, a really good event and looking forward to the competitors like yourself. You know what they've got to say about you know how the event works and also from those two car clubs who you know really stuck their neck out and uh, you know really taken a taken a big opportunity and I, I hope they you know reap the reward for that and people you know recognise what a you know a big thing that they've done by you know helping to take this on. Absolutely. I was, you know, my, my, my concerns were, you know, are, are we rushing this? You know, is it, uh, because, you know, there's still events, you know, uh, a good friend of the show who supported our podcast for, for, for many, many years, Donna, Donna Harper from Team Coordinate. She's, she ran the Molten Rally over here and, and, you know, that was an event we perhaps we would have supported, uh, later this year in one capacity or another. And, and, you know, they've decided that, uh, they can't, continue to run for this year and, and now putting all their efforts into into 2021 and you know uh, i must admit in the back of my mind every rally at the moment i'm i'm still thinking jack it's it's not going to run it's not going to run it's not going to run um and um you know i must admit i think the the, the elements of control i suppose that you know we, we we've always took the mick on stuff like this but whether you know forestry kind of style single venue events um are going to be are going to be the way to go forward and i suppose from that point of view as well is that are these rallies now going to be geared towards um the, i suppose the competitor rather than trying to make it something more than it's not we've gone through this element of trying to you know take rallying into the people and things like that which is which is all very well and good um but it's not probably going to work in, 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 you know, certainly short term. So perhaps if we 
goal rallying to satisfy the people who are paying to do it because ultimately that's what's happening you know everybody who's doing national rallying is paying to do it one way or the other that's that's the way it is so maybe satisfying their itch and keeping it away from the public and maybe doing it in a single venue style the way certainly this event's running could be the short you know to medium term future certainly for rallying we kind of went in a neat circle there by starting off saying you know is it is it too soon and then you came around to the you know the the fact that you know rallying is funded by the the people doing it and no one understands that better than malcolm wilson um you know he's uh, he's he's done that grassroots bit. He's started at the bottom and and created a you know, a multi million pound business. It's quite a you know a sensational story really when you look back and you know obviously when you when you like us Tony and you well like me you know I've grown up with with rallying every day in my life and and I'm sure you've uh, you're not far off that either. And you know M Sport just becomes that kind of mainstay thing that's just there, isn't it? But you know when you actually sit there and think like um, you know some of the achievements like when they won the British Championship and the British GT Championship with Bentley in the same year like that that'll probably never be done again or at least not for a, probably for a long time so you know some of the achievements they've they've had are, are sensational but just coming back to that you know Malcolm really understands how the sport works M Sport is the best customer rally operation out there um, you know that is not debatable they, they sell more cars than any other rally outfit um, so they're constantly in contact with the grassroots and I think when you say about coming back too soon it's the debate we had on the last episode is you know it's um, when you think about it from a humanitarian point of view, of course, um, it's it's too soon in the sense that the virus exists. So we shouldn't be doing anything that risks people coming into contact. But at some point, um, you know, people have to, you know, kind of uh, readapt into society. Um, we have to make those first steps to, to re- reintegrating people. Um, you know, as much for the economy as anything else. So, you've got, you know, you've got two different arguments. You've got the humanitarian argument that says, you know, we should keep people apart for as long as possible, and you've got the, the kind of more business angled view of, you know, trying to kickstart the economy. And you know, Malcolm, as I've already said, understands better than anyone that there's a lot of small, kind of like, um, you know, small factory outfits out there um, that, that are running rally cars and make money out of it. And you know, they're currently sat on furlough or, or having to make money in different ways. So, you know, I think. Um, there's those two opposing views and people will fall on either side of the fence. I don't think it's one that you can really sit in the middle. You've got two different opinions, but you know, I think there's a, there's a vast understanding at M sport of how rallying is currently set up. Um, you know, they, they, they've, they've worked with the single venue events that you've mentioned, um, as far down as the, the circuit events, um, and as high up as, you know, the, let's take like the, the rallying super special stages that we see in the WRC as an example of a, almost like a miniature single venue, aren't they? So, you know, they've done it at every level. They, they understand how they work. So they're the perfect, uh, kind of operators to put this event on, I think, and, and really, um, see how it all works. And it's going to be very interesting to see. Um, you know, we'll learn a lot from this event and I don't think it's, I don't think it's, uh, you know, trying to answer your question, which is, is quite difficult to do, as you could probably tell by the fact that I'm rambling on. But in terms <laughs> of, in terms of, you know, is this the future? I think it's too soon, soon to say. And I think we'll, we'll learn a lot of lessons about how this goes about. I think, I think what we'll actually see is we'll see, we'll learn a lot of lessons from this event that will be adapted into other events. But I don't necessarily think this is the end of stage rally. And, you know, I think there's years, there's years left in it yet. And, no, you know, I don't, I, I don't, I don't think it's that, Jack. I think, yeah. and, and, you know, I, I, probably get shut down a little bit here but i've done obviously everything from single venues up to wrc events and you know believe it or not the process of going to do a rally is 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 pretty much similar across the board you know you you, you turn up the car goes for scrutineering you get a process card and then you work your way along half a dozen desks um 
you know, at a rally headquarters. Rally headquarters, it can be, you know, a grand building for the WRC events, or it could be a porter cabin, you know, at the side of a race circuit. The process is still exactly the same. And I just wonder whether, you know, uh, the times where volunteers are, are getting obviously scarce and how many marshals are needed, you know, and how many people need to be, you know, at a desk at signing on and things like that. I just wonder whether all that element could actually go. And, you know, all of a sudden this Friday afternoon um, kind of malarkey, especially for the small events of trying to get there and then getting through, trying to find this hotel in the bowels of a city centre to find a function room, which is, you know, got all these desks laid out and stuff like that. You know, you know, with technology the way it is now, do we do we really need all that? And I'm, I'm genuinely not convinced we do. And I want rallying to come back. As we, as we know it, but I, I almost want it to be a hybrid of what we're about to get with, you know, with this M Sport event, to be honest with you. Yeah, it's, um, you know, all great points. I think, you know, uh, I don't think necessarily we have to, um, you know, I don't think there necessarily has to be a blanket decision on each item of a rally. You know, I think every rally should run with, with the, you know, the opportunities that it's got in front of it. You know, if they've got 20 people who, you know, for example, um, you know, go to signing on and they are the people who do the signing on at the same rally every year. And we've, we've all been there, you know, we've all gone to rallies year on year and it's the same people signing on. It's the same, you know, the same family that, that, that makes it a kind of, uh, you know, a day out for them, you know, it's, uh, or, or some, or a way to be involved in a, in a sport that is too expensive for them to do, you know, at an active level. So, you know, I, I think you're right. You know, you don't want to see these people, you know, losing their jobs because of, um, you know, a rally just making a decision to go to, to you know, an electronic system or whatever. But, you know, it's nice that the rally has that opportunity so that it can still run. Because if you say to someone, do you want to sign on desk or do you want a rally? You know, they're going to choose the rally every time, aren't they? So it's nice. You know, th- this is what I'm saying about, um, you know, I don't think this M Sport event is going to change rally in future in terms of, you know, how necessarily, you know, this is going to be like the blueprint for how an event runs. And you have to do everything that M Sport have done in this event. I think there's going to be lots of little things that we take from this event that, you know, events will have in their repertoire to use. So, you know, if you are, if you are short of people to, to sign people on one year, or you are short of, you know, um, you know, people to set up in the, in the service park or, or whatever, then you've got different opportunities to, to, to find different people, or maybe you don't use people and, and you use some sort of electronic system. So yeah, I think, you know, anything that we can give organizers to make their lives easier or to make a rally run, has, has got to be something that we consider. And this is what, this is kind of sits into what I was saying before about, you know, being an exponent of change because, you know, people, you know, some people get too stuck in their ways that, you know, this is my rally. I've done it since 1971. The same people have been on the signing on desk. I've scrutinized in the same place. The service park's been in the same place. The stages are in the same place. And if anything changes, I'm furious because everything's always been the same and, you know, we have to do it the same. Rallying won't survive if, if that attitude prevails. So, you know, as much as I appreciate you know, we'd all love to go back into 1970s and have like Henry Toivon and rocking up on. Well, that would be uh, probably more like the 80s. But, you know, um, you know, I don't want to go too down, far down that path. But rose tinted spectacles is what I'm saying, basically. You know, we all know the 80s, the 70s, the 60s, the 50s were, you know, epic periods for, for rallying. But things change and things move on. And, you know, you have to adapt. And if people don't adapt, you know, we're never going to return to anything like those times if, you know, people don't accept that certain amounts of change are going to be needed in places yeah no i couldn't agree more i couldn't agree more um i just wanted to uh, I'm, I'm going to start the silly season way way earlier than ever before I'm, I'm just gonna i'm just gonna put it out there um if i had a horn or a klaxon hang on actually if i gave you the horn jack i'd be worried 
<laughs> I, I can do an almost perfect horn impression. And, and, and Many I think, people think that you do look like one sometimes, Jack. So, and, and I think this would be the perfect opportunity to debut it because we don't have an actual one. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> that's a silly season horn. I'm going to tell you right now, right? That sounds like uh, I, 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 with Johnny, my little boy. Um, he's got he 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 calls his his his, his boobs um, boogies, and if he comes <laughs> over to grab his mummy's boogies, that's the noise he makes. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> if anybody sees my wife, don't tell her I told you that. Um, okay, so um, the reason why I'm going to discuss um, during the, the, the lockdown period, it seems like a, a lifetime ago almost. Um, we. We heard that um, Sebastian Ogier was probably going to continue for another year, of course, if, if Toyota wanted him. And let's be honest, they are going to want him. But I just wonder what drivers will perhaps fall by the wayside. And, and I suppose the obvious one to me is, is, is the other Seb, your hero. I just wonder whether, sadly, his time um, as a part program, because, you know, we're seeing more and more, um, the likes of, you know, the likes of Craig Breen and stuff becoming very, very popular at Hyundai um, and getting opportunities and things like that. And I just wonder whether management there are thinking a bit more towards the future and, you know, whether, you know, Craig would step into that proper, be, you know, program, really. Obviously, Andreas isn't there anymore either. Um, and Craig's still getting opportunities. So I just wonder whether are we are we seeing the, 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 the change in the guard almost? Possibly, yeah. Um, you know, I wouldn't be too bad. I wouldn't be too sad if if Sebastian Loeb wasn't in the WRC next year. Uh, you know, just from from the perspective that you know, I backed his return when he came back, um, and when he moved to Hyundai as well. And you know, I was really happy about that. But mainly because I didn't really believe there was anyone on the sidelines who would do a better job in the seat. Or uh, I didn't feel I didn't personally didn't feel like Sebastian Loeb was taking a seat from a junior driver uh, other than the fact that that junior driver would have sat in the seat I don't think they would have done a better job or um, you know would have made a, a massive difference personally I think you know the one you can probably argue is Hayden Padden I think he should have had more opportunities than he's had over the, the past few years um, and Gary Boyd absolutely did not give me a brown envelope to say that by the way that is my genuine opinion um, because we know how much uh, people hate us talking about Elvin Evans and Hayden Padden don't we Tony yeah, so we absolutely. Have to be really careful. Yeah, we have to be careful. After, but I think balance. I think is the expression you're looking for. It, exactly, and you know, Hayden Padden's one of the only people to beat Sebastian Loeb in a, in a final stage shootout for a rally, isn't he? So, uh, you know, I think based on did I say Sebastian Ogier? That's what I meant to say. Yeah, yeah I think I did. Excellent. <laughs> so uh, it's been a while, you know. It's uh, it's getting the uh, absolute rally rust off. But yeah, I think you know to to, to come back to the point, I think um, when when Sebastian Loeb made his kind of comeback. I don't think there was a, you know, a host of people on the sidelines um, who, who are hard done to by the decision. Um, but, but now I think we're going to see, um, well, you know, this, Tony, this is not, um, this is not uh, anything from like the inside of the teams or anything. I'm not speaking with any inside knowledge here, but just, I, I think there's going to be, uh, there's going to be um, a situation where, we've got probably going to have less cars next year or at least the year after. I think the coronavirus 
economic impact is is going to play a part and i think we are going to start to see fewer cars over the over the next season and you know we still don't really know 100 percent what's going on with the rules and the, the you know the future of the wrc it's obviously a difficult time for for all major championships out there so you know i think we're going to see fewer cars and i think it's a good time for for sebastian you know he's not won a rally recently he's been competitive but not blowing anyone away um you know i think it'd be a good time for him to get the the maxi out and give me some excitement <laughs> by driving that around instead oh dear i couldn't agree more just get the maxi out now and just have done with it and I, we're not we're not talking about the austin maxi by the way we're talking very much oh i was oh. I, w- I want to see sebastian Lowe driving an austin maxi <laughs> he'd still get it down the road better than you and i put together mate he'd still he, get he, it down the road he, he'd still set some sort of spectacular time on the quarter terrain wouldn't he absolutely absolutely you would so um so yeah i'm just putting it out there now for the beginning of this season i think this is going to be an ever-running thing i completely agree with you i think the the you know we we all know that the economic um the economic uh, domino effect of what's going to happen is things are going to be scaled back um opportunities will be scaled back and you know i guess I guess we'll see what 2022 brings with the new regulations and everything else. But we've still got obviously, the, you know, this season getting going again. And of course, we are, we have got next season. Fingers crossed. We, we, we've got some kind of uh, championship as well next season. But, um, Jack, that, that, that's, that's kind of us for this week. But we, we are all back next week, which is quite exciting. Very much so. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to hearing the rest of the podcast and, uh, hearing, uh, Jules talk about, uh, Rome a little bit because, because that's going to be interesting for me to hear what that was like on, on the inside. But yeah, I think, you know, um, yeah, you mentioned WRC coming back. I think it's a great opportunity to see some, some changes there as well. You know, some probably going to be some two day events, um, or, or there is going to be some two day events. There's going to be at least a few and, and maybe some more. So that'll be interesting and potentially, uh, a nice logistical issue for you to chat about an absolute rally with, uh, <laughs> eat, eat, eat Pro potentially coming in and, uh, how that's going to play out. So yeah, it should be interesting. Uh, ferries and a lot of driving, double man cabs. <laughs> there you go. There's the answer. Honestly, that's the only way you're going to do it. I've already looked at it. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that's the way it's going to, that's the way it's going to have to happen. But, have you got, uh, have you got any other business prepared? Um, not, not Drop, you in it there. You have kind of, yeah. I'll be honest, right? I've because I've been busy doing other things, and I thought Jack's not going to put me on the spot for any other business. Jack <laughs> wouldn't do that to me. Um, well, and yeah, here it, we are. This kind of well, have we got time to? to carry well, on? of course we've got any. I'll tell you what, my any other business is right. The beginning of next week's program will be like no other. There you go. Excellent. There's well, something I thought... quite exciting that I'm doing tomorrow, which is going to be part of the beginning of next week's program. Mega, mega. Well, I've got two quick things if, if we've got time. Go on then. I felt like it would be a disservice if we, if it isn't done later in the episode, which, um, you know, it's quite possible other people will mention this, but I think it's very important to, to say goodbye to Brian Patterson. Um, yeah, just absolutely. Absolutely. I, I worked very closely with him for a few years at, at Motorsport News while he was still writing rally reports there, even, you know, up to a, a few years ago. Um, and, uh, I think everyone who's done a, a stage rally has used a set of Patterson notes at some point, um, and everyone's seen his, uh, you know, end of day reports, and that'll bring back a lot of memories. So, um, you know, I think I just wanted to mention it, and I don't think we need to go into any great detail because everyone knows how great Brian was and and, and what he brought to the sport. But I think he's affected everyone on this podcast. You know, pre- pretty much every British or Irish person who has appeared on this podcast has been affected by Brian Patterson in some way, shape, or form. So, uh, you know, and absolutely. Um, you know, stalwart of rallying. So really sorry to see him go. And, uh, yeah, 
pass on all my uh, all my best to to the Patterson family, which is extensive. You know, Brian passed on his love of rallying um, to to the people around him as well, and uh, you know that that he can live on through them through through uh, through what they do. So yeah, very sad to see him go. And uh, if you don't know who Brian Patterson is, then he's uh, someone that you need to to look up and and learn a bit about. Couldn't agree more. Uh, just just as a caveat to that, uh, John Desborough also mentioned it just to, to give you a bit of background. The, the piece we did with John, we recorded last week after it just kind of came out. So um, just to give you a bit of a timeline of events there. So John also mentions it. So uh, there you go. There you go. Um, you're, you're second. Any other business, Jack Bengen? Uh Armin Schwartz. <laughs> OK. Do you know where I'm going with this? Uh, I think so. I think you're talking junior. I am. His son, yeah. Fabio. Yeah. Uh, won the Lithuanian junior category at the Rally Rukiskisk. I hope I pronounced that correctly, because otherwise someone from Latvia is going to be very upset. To did be you, fair, I, I've not called Latvia Scandinavian, so that's no, a good did start. You see, did you see what, I think it was Jamie Arkell did it, at the Gravel Crew, where he said about his other sons, which is Octavio. <laughs> basically yeah he went through his, his siblings as 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 versions of cars that uh that armin had driven brilliant so yeah, yeah so fabio's been in r2 winning in winning in latvia and we know um we know how important going out to latvia could be for for junior drivers it's a great place to learn and you know the list of people who've gone out there in the past is is very long and yeah apparently fabio's looking at uh, an r5 so maybe we'll see fabio schwartz back uh and uh, next year and hopefully he'll be a tiny bit better than his dad yeah there you go there and you then go. we might have another WRC champion um, before I suppose my, 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 my proper any other business by the way really is the fact that um, Kielder uh, have, have, yes. have been fantastic to us during this period and it's been a tough time for them as you can imagine um, and Kielder are, are desperate to, to, to stay involved we're going to do probably the biggest Kielder competition that we've ever done this season um, we can't tell you too much about it but basically it's going to be Kielder kit for people and there's going to be first, second and third prizes um, and we're going to work out how we're going to do it um, but yeah the guys from Kielder I can say this quite categorically, we would not be here this season without them. So if you are going to be buying any equipment, um, please, please, please check out their stuff because they they make it free for you to, 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 to have these podcasts and they made it free for you to have the 95 special and things like that. So, you know, if you are going to buy a bit of kit, at least check out Kiel to see whether they've got it if they have um, if you show them a little bit of love obviously it, it, it all comes back around and you get you get us you get us for free not that you pay for us but still there you go there you go um, so yeah so that's it so um, Jack and me are going to disappear now we've got uh, John Desborough and, and Ryan and myself coming up and then um, and then Jules to finish so there you go so we'll sit back relax enjoy the break and we'll be back with John Desborough this is Absolute Rally whether it's the pressures of service or an issue out on the stages, it's vital to have the right equipment to hand. Kielder cordless tools are tailored for the world of motorsport and are being used throughout all forms of competition. Go back to the future with the Kielder Works team. Welcome back to the next section of Absolute Rally, a very unique Absolute Rally section, actually, because we can all see each other. I realise that is a redundant statement in the terms of podcasting world, but for the first time, I can see Ryan Champion 
while we record a podcast, which is odd. I mean, all, all these all these COVID messages with COVID, COVID messages, <laughs> COVID, COVID messages. messages. <laughs> 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 this has thrown you off your game completely. The yeah, fact you can see my ugly mug—that's what it is. And, and anyway, I'll, ch- I'll change it. All those secret messages we've sent to each other over the years. Yeah, uh, we could have actually just waved. I know said, that's very true. Hello. We've been texting no, one another no, while we've been recording. I know we should have done that. Um, and and the man that's made us do this is 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 a voice that we all know, and it's a face probably that we all know for rally fans especially over the last <clears throat> so many years uh, and john dennisworth welcome to absolute rally for the first time well thank you for having me it's a thrill it's a thrill, it's a thrill to be here to look at you as well as here. <laughs> well, i feel like a special treat you've actually you brought out the cameras just for me it is well you i thought you'd be far more comfortable with the camera on you let's be honest that's that that's that's your world very much your world and i i appreciate the backdrop the efforts that you've gone through with your backdrop of course no one could see it worked magically on radio i I should probably take a picture at some point what i will do i will take my phone out very shortly and i'll take a picture when you're not expecting it when you've got one of those facial expressions that you won't want to be shared Um, so i'll i'll do that I'll do that do just for you. Deli- do you want me to give you one now, just so you can get one in the let, game? Let, let, let's, do, let's do this right now, right? You, you're going to have to pose as well, obviously, because you, it's a shared screen. So there you go, now, gentlemen. Let me do one, aping one of my comedy heroes. There you go. That's that. that this is comedy gold. I realise if you're listening to this as we're recording yeah, it, sorry about uh, this. You, you probably need to just, just probably dip into our, our, our Twitter feed um, at some point. But John, um, thank you for joining us. Uh, before we started recording, um, I'm going to assume that most people who listen to this know who you are anyway. So um, I'm not going to do. Done. I'm not going to kind of do any formal introductions. The reason why I wanted to get you on, and the reason why Ryan wanted to get you on, is because during lockdown, we 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 kind of we made a little bit of a documentary. And I wanted stuff to read and stuff like that. And I had absolutely zero idea. And I feel a fool and, 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 and stupid and everything else. The fact that you've had uh, not one, not two and soon to be three books out, which are factually fictitious, but fictitiously factual. I'm not too <laughs> sure which way I want to get that round, but yeah, yeah uh, perhaps, perhaps a little bit of a background on, 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 on where these came from and how they came about. Well, probably too much red wine and whiskey and having too much time to sit around in Dorset and do nothing. Um, but I have had uh, storylines and plots and things like that kicking around in my head for years. And working around the World Rally Championship, I've always said, wouldn't it be fun if, or wouldn't it be really interesting if, or wouldn't it be a good front page of the sun if this was to happen on the World Rally Championship? And then when I finished after Mexico and lockdown happened, I kind of felt this voice from heaven say, listen, now you've got to get on with it, son. You've got no excuse. You've got nothing to worry about. You've got no one to call. There is nothing to do, quite simply, for we don't know how long. So get in there now and get on your computer and start writing this thing. Um, And the result has been a journey. And it turned out to be three short stories, which I've done digitally as Amazon books on Kindle. And uh, a good mate of mine, Steve Kelly, who works with me on the recorded coverage of the World Rally Championship at the moment and used to work with me back at Sky News in the 90s, who himself is a petrol head like me. Uh, and to give you a bit more background against, about Steve, he was the one that coined the phrase of Colin McRae, greatest living Scotsman, which is what we used to call him back in the 90s. He said, why don't you put those three Kindle books together and turn them into a book book? 
So I started with the first rally we missed, which was Argentina. I called it El Condor Top of the World, invented a story around that and created it. What I needed was desperate to have because I've missed so much, which is a British World Rally Champion. We're then going to miss Portugal, so they're going to go on to... Uh, to Porto. I'm going to have to come up with some kind of adventure there and then we'll finish in Alguero in Sardinia uh, with the third of the stories and by then I would have introduced a co-driver, I would have introduced a team of mechanics, I would have introduced a very lovely lady by the name of Gabriella. Oh, there's a love interest. <laughs> who is blonde and has deep blue eyes and she wears uh, a sarong and slides or flip-flops and she's the engine engineer. I've been talking to Ryan about this because, uh, as, as I've realised, well, Ryan, of course, would be interested in that. Why would he not? He said, tell me more. He said, describe. I need a picture. Describe it to me. Um, all of these things uh, eat up all of the kind of imagination that you have in your head. Um, as I was working through these stories, I thought, what am I going to do next? What should I say next? What's going to happen to him next? What's going to go wrong? How am I going to create some jeopardy for this guy? Really put him through the ringer. Do I want him to come out in one piece? And it was a lot of fun doing it. And here we are now in the uh, beginning of August, and the thing actually exists as a proof. And uh, another lady in the village here, because the thing has almost been, almost been done, cre conceived, created, and printed in Dorset without going anywhere. I mean, it's, it's incredible. Uh, I've just got an email from uh, a lady who says to me, we've set up a Facebook page, so if anybody should be daft enough to want to know where to buy this book, no, no, I should never have said that, should I? Then um, they'll know where to go. So I don't know whether it's a first, but I certainly haven't found any other WRC fiction. No. But but I thought, listen, mate, Desbra. You could look at some of, you could look at some of my results when I've done Rally GB. I've, I've managed to turn them into fiction over a few glasses <laughs> yeah, me, of wine. Me too. You and me alike. <laughs> this is a lot of fiction. In fact, I always used to say, there's an awful lot of nonsense talked about motorsport, and I should know that because I'm responsible for a great deal. <laughs> but now I've put it into a, into a binder. Now it actually exists as a book. So wow. how long has this, this been in your mind then, John, to do this? Oh, well, you know, I just, you sit there with days and days ahead of you and you think, okay, you've got to do it now. So where do I start? I need some sort of a champion. What kind of a champion is he going to be? Uh, well, strangely enough, he had to be around about sort of Colin McRae's size. I gave him blue eyes, not brown eyes. I gave him dark hair. And I got onto a lady who follows me on Facebook who is a graphic designer. And I said, look, the thing about this is I can't use a car because I've written this in the golden era of rallying. So that could be different for you as it is for me. Everybody's got a golden era. So I've got to be careful with the technology. I've got to be careful with the cars. I can't have him in a certain type of car because that would date it. We might get into difficulties over rights, over, uh, you know, um, of turning it from fiction into fact, because a lot of it is, is disguised. A lot of it is based on people who, who do exist and things that have happened. So I created my champion, sent an email message to this lady called Jane Belinda Smith, and she said, yes, of course, I would love to draw you a pen and ink drawing of your imaginary champion. She's a graphic designer, and it's gone in the book. She sent me three beautiful drawings of our imaginary champion, and they're in the book. I phoned up Petter Solberg. That was, that, was, that was a highlight, out walking in the meadow on the way back from the hills with, again, absolutely nothing to do. I phoned Solberg. I said, would you write the foreword? He's, I can't remember what he said because you know what he's like on the phone. He doesn't really make a great deal of sense. I said, I tell you what, I tell you what I mean is I'll write it. Will you just read it and say that's okay? Um, so he's the foreword. 
Um, and there are a couple of pictures in there from Les Kozlak, who used to follow, uh, yeah, do a lot of photography yeah, yeah. for Ford down the years. So yeah, there's all this kind of rallying knowledge coming together. And then I thought, well, I, what kind of was going to go on the cover? I can't put a car on the cover because then that would, uh, that would date it and that would link it to one certain team or car wanted a person. So I'm out every week we go out walking, probably like you do, just to go and kill the time. Um, and the thing with Dorset is there are so many great roads around, and I found one out in a walk, and I thought I'll just snap that off on the iPhone, and that's made the front cover with a little bit of manipulation. And then I've just set about to to, to sort of create him. He it starts with the championship dinner where he is becoming champion, um, and I just take him through you know crashes, blackmail kiss and tell yes there are some narcotics in there because as we all know we all know there was that one story it was that one story of a team in narcotics but i wouldn't be the one to say it and i thought every time i have looked at those cars every service i've thought those are perfect for smuggling drugs so that's in as well uh, I don't know whether I'm going to need the lawyers for the next part of this podcast or not. Uh, <laughs> um, is this is this you know as the, the metaphorically speaking, has the gun been put to your head because of COVID? Would this, would this have yes. ever realistically happened? Without I know at the time because my head was so full of you know times and, and facts and what people had said and what they had done. Uh, it's bad enough trying to you know stick to the to the facts of the matter, especially when you work with Julian Porter. But uh, so knowing that I haven't got to do that, and I didn't know when we were going back. I thought, well, the only way you're going to keep match fit, the only way you're going to keep involved is by going back and looking at scenarios and looking at championships, looking at ends to rallying, and thinking how could I take that as an inspiration, change the characters involved, up the jeopardy level by a factor of about ten. Uh, and then do I want to bring them home safely and everybody's a hero and it's all fantastic and ends in the bar, you know, in the castle up in Alguero with a sort of wobbly walk home to the hotel, arm in arm. Where are we going to go with it? Do we, should we throw in a little bit of romance? But you couldn't do any of that. I couldn't do any of that while I was still trying to handle the facts. Did, but there haven't been any. Uh, arm in arm, is that because the driver and core driver? Were they, were they in the same bubble? Have you included bubbles in this? Hey, listen, you, we know we know about this business, and I thought I've got to bring a co-driver in here. It's going to be Scottish, okay? So it's going. But what bits of those Scottish co-drivers do I use? I'm going to be very careful here. Well, I, as you read them, you'll think, yeah, okay, there's a little bit there, but they co-drivers and co-drivers have that really weird relationship, don't they? You know, they spend a lot of time together. I remember Robert Reed. Oh. I've gone given him saying to me that when you spend so much time together with a bloke, the last thing you want to do is go out and socialise with him or meet him on, you know, doing down, rally downtime or anything like that. Um, so I try to create that special relationship the driver and co-driver have um, in that, the, you know, they're best friends and they're sort of like a, a crazy married couple when they're in the car competing, but then they never ever see each other again until they can come back and compete. So all of those sort of parameters exist, you know, the, the realistic things, but then I just, I, you know, sometimes I feel that there just isn't that champion out there that I want to have, you know, so I thought I'm going to make him now, I'm going to try and create him. Have, have you floated this past any of the um, more established stars, should we say, WRC over the last whatever many years you've been coming up with this? Have you ever thought, well, I just stood at the bar next to Petter or whoever going, 
I'm going to write this book, right? And what it's going to, it's going to have bits of you in, maybe, allegedly, supposedly, and bits yeah. of Colin, allegedly, supposedly. Yeah. And what do you think? I can't imagine many drivers kind of going, yeah, that's fine, John, you crack on. Well, it's interesting that, isn't it? Uh, it's, you know, would they want to be in it or would they not? Would that be Ego, ego be says yes. Lo- lawyers and wives say no. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, to wives and sweethearts, may they never ever meet. Yeah. Um, it may be. Uh, oh, I can't. I don't know. I mean, uh, I, you see, this to me, as far as I can make it out, this is kind of pioneering. This is either going to fly or die. I don't know what's going to happen to this because I don't think it's been done before. So they've never ever had it happen. So they've got nothing to go back and reference it to. So they might just sort of pat me on the hat and say, "There, there, John. You know, next next time there's a situation like this, we'll cover. We'll get you a proper job." Um, and I have to say that by saying it comes from a golden era of rallying, I'm not really, not really looking at the current guys. Although, having said that, I know if, if this does work, and if I sell a couple of thousand copies of it, it's worked, then I will come back next year if I've got a chance and got the time to do it. Because when you do it, you've got to lock yourself off in Perla and talk to no one. And I give myself two hours and I can't leave. And I've got to get a thousand words down. And I can't leave the man cave here until the thousand words are down. But the inspiration does come from kind of pre-2010, pre-2011. I mean, you know the sorts of people. They, they, they were the, the people that existed in the lunatic times before that time when mobile phones got a camera on them. And then uh, all the big teams just nobbled the stars. Uh, you know, I'm, typically I'm reading all the reports from uh, the action over the weekend. And, you know, the Hyundai guys, Tanak and Nervil are saying, well, we were swapping parts and we were swapping setup, but we're not going to tell you. And that to me, that's just a challenge. That is. <laughs> so, OK, if you're not going to tell me, I'll invent it. Then we'll see where we go. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I must admit, I've, the, the more of, I'm, the more I'm listening, the more I'm, I'm kind of fascinated. Even though I'm not, a, I'm not a big one for tabloid press in any way, shape, or form. But it, it's got smatterings of possibly having a page three um, star in it, almost in my in my head. As I'm listening to you, I'm thinking, is this is is this going to be smut? Is this going to be something that that maybe I won't want to leave and on the side? A golden era of page three star as well. Yeah, obviously. absolutely. That's, that's where I'm going. What kind of smut are we looking at? In fact. As you say, smart, it reminds me of the time when I walked into the swimming pool at the hotel in um, Auckland, New Zealand, and was met by Tommy Mackinnon and Peter Solberg walking out of the, um, uh, the sauna without a stitch on, which was <laughs> one of the images that stuck in my who, mind. Who, who was the biggest star in your eyes? Uh, <laughs> well, I didn't know where to look. <clears throat> <laughs> I thought I must have heard of chaps. Uh, lovely to see you. Just go yeah. swim in a costume. Yeah. But you know, they don't care about that sort of stuff. But talking about that, I, in 2003, when I was doing the Channel 4 show, they decided they wanted me to do a preview to every round of the Europe, every of the European rounds in the championship. So they sent me to Finland. And I swore, as God is my witness, within an hour of getting off the plane in Euvascular, I am standing with the chairman of uh, the sort of committee of commerce, the tourism guru. I think there was a rally co-driver in there and uh, a guy who was going to take us out hunting 
we're doing this preview to Finland about all the crazy things that go on there. And, of course, you've got to do saunas because there's six million Finns. There's a million and a half saunas. It's a very special thing for, for a Finn. They do it regularly. It's quite sort of holy. So there we are. We're coming out the sauna where we've all sat. And we go and walk down the stairs. We walk past the shower. As I reach for a shower to shower down, they say, no, no, no. We walk down to state and we're going to stand in a lake in front of everybody, washing ourselves down. And the punchline to this is we are stark bollock naked. A lot of us, and I hadn't met any of them an hour before when I got off the plane. So to the Finns, things like that is perfectly normal. It, it, was, a co- it was a cold lake, wasn't it, John? <laughs> it was, you know, one or two of us, one or two, two of us may have been on our knees at this time to hide our embarrassment, you know, but... Um, that's those are the kind of culture shocks you get on the WRC, which actually don't get with any other sport. You, what, uh, go on, sorry, Ray. Go I on, was I'll just going to say, you know, I, I I just wanted to go back a bit. What what um, you've obviously been involved in the the World Rally Championship now for uh, you know twenty years actively. Um, but what was your your first exposure to rallying? You know, when when was your first interest peaked? Um, it was in 1999. I'm working at Sky News. The WRC is getting big in Britain because we've got British drivers, we've got a British champion. We've got Richard Burns coming along. We've got teams that are making cars in Britain. You know, Hyundai, Mitsubishi, Subaru. The Ford team is based in Britain. So it's a very British thing at that point. And heading up to Rally Great Britain, Subaru, Mitsubishi and uh, Ford put on PR days for guys like me who was a sports reporter at Sky News, they invited me up. So within the space of about um, two months, I did a Greystoke stage with Colin McRae. It'll be, it's been recreated. And, of course, it's worse. <laughs> I did uh, Cornbury Park. Was it Cornbury Park, which was one of the, um, you know, the, the country house stages yeah. on GB with Richard Burns on tarmac, which was a life-changing moment. And I did the uh, rally stage at Silverstone backwards uh, in the company of Tommy Mackinac. So you can imagine coming out of all of that and thinking, at at that point, I was into Formula One. It's the picture behind because we had a great uh, time in my game with Damon Hill, with Nigel Mansell, with David Coulthard. Uh, Schumacher was coming along. I thought it was all very cool. There was pretty good access to that sport for guys like me. It was pretty much no more than the bandit from this this wannabe operation called Sky News. Then suddenly I sat in these rally cars. Life changed, and I thought, no, Formula One is boring. This is where we need to be. We need to get ourselves into a Subaru. And then the very well, two years later, there was word that David Richards was trying to buy the rights off um, Bernie Eccleston, was trying to get some money from Bernie to set up an independent organisation that could then move the rights onto Channel Four. That happened in 2001 I crawled across London on my knees and begged them to give me the job to present this show because what they wanted to do is that live thing where they wanted to go Friday night Saturday night and Sunday night and do live telly live telly is a, uh, it's a strange kind of a beast um, and luckily they lowered all their quality thresholds and said John we'd love you to come and present this thing here it is and I left Sky News at the end of 2001 and started with the Channel 4 gig and the rest is history do we perhaps look back on that? I'm, I'm, I actually made a note on my pad before about that period because obviously you're kind of so synonymous with, especially the Channel 4 coverage as well. Are we guilty of rosy-coloured spectacles, bearing no. in mind what we've now got today? Or, no. what, or, or, or has the world just turned so many times since then it, it, it's not even an apples-for-apples apples comparison anymore? No, it was that good. 
that's why all the stories come from there. And to be honest, you know, that is a golden era. Although I will say that, I'll qualify that by saying, talking with Steve Kelly on the numerous phone calls we have, we talked about what's the current golden era. Um, and we reckon the current golden era is the time that Seb Ogier got into M Sport Ford up until the moment when everybody came home from Mexico. That, that, that'll be another era because, you know, that was a fantastic season 2017 and that whole um, rally great britain uh, ending up at brenning that will never ever be repeated and that will compare with anything that happened in 2002 but in 2002 we just peaked we just got richard and he moved on and he was kind of chill it sat back lit up the big cube and was thinking well, i've got five million big ones coming in a year thank you very much we'd had colin seven years before and he was just coming to the end of ford and then only got the one year with citron and he was gone so really Channel 4, really, David should have got the rights uh, two years earlier and, you know, got us onto Channel 4 a bit earlier. It, we might have got even more of that golden time, but it was that good. And it was terrific to cover it for TV, uh, not just because every time you got on a plane, you turned left and they introduced you to business class, which I'd never, you know, ever understood about again. And that just spoils flop. Once you turn left, you never, ever, ever, ever want to turn right again, but you're going to have to, especially with the current promoter. And um, the... Uh, uh, those two years, 2002-2003, were very good for where we went and the amount of money that was spent on producing that television coverage. Uh, and it was amazing that they managed to shoehorn me into the sports presenter, the Royal Television Society of the Year Sports Presenter of the Year, with two people you may have heard of. They're very minor names. I don't know what they're up to now. Uh, the, the other guy that was up there was a guy called, oh, that's right, Gary Lineker. I don't know if you've heard of him. And uh, there was another broadcaster up there who hasn't gone on to do very much. He's been very unsuccessful. His name was Claire Balding, who went on to win it the following year. And I was there just to make up the numbers, but I thought, what the hell, I don't mind. This is, I can't, I've won just by being here with the championship. Absolutely. How many, how many crisps have you sold, though, John? <laughs> None. Actually, Gary Lineker's speech was, as he gets hold of the uh, sports broadcaster of the year, he says, this is the best uh, trophy I've ever won. Oh, no, actually, not as good as the Division Two Championship with Leicester in 19, whatever it was. Oh, well, come to think of it, there was the Golden Boot Award at the 1986 Me uh, uh, Mexico World Cup when I scored all those goals. And then he said, but, and this dates it. This dates it. He said, you know, you think you are everything and you've done everything and achieved so much and then you're out kicking a ball with your young son in the back garden. We're talking 20 years ago here. And your son says to you, hey, Dad, wouldn't it be really cool if you were David Beckham? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, OK, you got everything, but you're not David Beckham. Um, but that was that was the peak. That's how far they got. That's how much money and power and effort was behind that championship to make it work. Um, because it was a British thing. It's not anymore, and we have to come to terms with that. It's a sort of German-French thing. Is it? Let, let me ask that, because I, I genuinely, I, I have had this in the back of my mind to ask you, is it as big there then? Because I, I, I completely and utterly agree, because I was working with some of the people behind the scenes way back when as well. So I, I appreciate what you're saying about the British thing. Now we've got, obviously, the German thing, I suppose, with Hyundai, um, and obviously, okay, well, Toyota's not, obviously, it's in Estonia, but is there any one country that seems to get it a lot more than what we do in the UK now? Yeah, Argentina. <laughs> <laughs> when you go to Argentina, everything changes again. You cannot believe the number of people that are there, and they get it. 
uh, for the spectacle, for the glory, for the noise, for the racket, for the week off from work. And, you know, a lot of them haven't got two brass halfpennies to rub together. I, I think, and I, may, I don't want to be disrespectful to the championship here, but I, I wonder if it's actually a first world championship. I wonder if it's a championship that is so kind of exotic, mad, and democratic, equitable, that, you know, you don't actually need too much money to go and watch it. You can go out there on a, on a Saturday morning and stand there on a the field and watch these guys come past. And it is a life-changing experience to hear it and see it. Um, and in Argentina, a million people turn out for the weekend. And until you've seen Condor, oh, which is the first story in the book. <laughs> Called El Condor, top of the world, and until you've seen Condor, and you, until you've sampled that, and the number of people, and the people who have been waiting there in low cloud, low temperatures, and rain, with a barbecue and a beaten up Ford that should have gone off the road 20 years ago because it would fail its MOT, and they've been waiting and waiting with the rain beating down on a piece of corrugated metal, and they've got an old tent up there, uh, and there's, you know, Condor, which is an enormous, great big mountainside is full by about midnight on Saturday night before the power stage goes up the condor. Uh, and that's about 100, 100 110,000 people up there, which is, you know, a Wembley crowd and much more. And those, those are the really awe-inspiring sites. Um, and there are more there, you know, Australia, I don't think quite gets it. You know, New Zealand, you don't get a lot of people, but man, are those, they're the roads of roads. For speed, Finland is, you know, fit, is, fit, is Finland's incredible. It's insane. It is insane. You, if it didn't exist, you wouldn't invent it now because, you know, get Chris Meek to talk about uh, Finland or, you know, Petter to talk about Finland. Phil Mills. Yes, this is the bit where it gets fast. Um, the Finns get it in a big way. The Scandinavians get it in a big way. But it's got something to do with spectacle, but also nostalgia. Whereas here and when I came to devise my champion, I cheated. I cheated. I made him a Welshman with a Scottish name. But in doing that, <laughs> yeah. I thought to myself, well, cover all the bases, John. Are. Cover all the bases. Well, at the moment, that's where, that's where the big stages are, aren't they? That's where the sort of history comes from. Um, you know, God bless him, Richard. Never, ever should have been in the championship because he just, how did he make it? How, uh, you know, Colin made it because he was part of, the McRae Mafia, and he had an introduction through Jimmy, five times British champion. There you are, and here's the next one along the line, which happens a lot. Caron Perra will be the current example of that. But how did Richard Burns make it? You know, an Englishman to do it. First and only Englishman to win that world championship. So I thought, you know, we've well, got to – you've cheated here, Desbury. You've, you've, uh, you've upset your own nation by not making <laughs> <laughs> a broken Englishman. So, do we get it in England quite as much as the Welsh or Scots do? I don't know. I don't know. But Argentina gets it in a big way. Okay. Um, you're talking about the writing process as well. I, I, I've been writing off and on for different things for for, for many, many years. Edinburgh festival shows and stuff like that for, for for comedians and things like that. And when I get when I sit down to write, obviously I'm trying to write stuff to be funny and you don't know because it's just you and if it makes you laugh you've got to kind of submit it and run with it when you're writing something like you've written there have you got to disconnect your own ego to think i've got to get somebody else to say this is good because i think it's good because i've wrote it anyway is there where's where's the filter i suppose how do you know 
what you're putting to paper do you think is going to work? You don't. You don't. And I'll own up now. I stole a couple of lines from two great uh, author heroes of mine. One is Philip Kerr, sadly died two years ago, who writes a book about his character, Bernie Gunter. The other one is Somerset Maugham, who 100 years ago was writing some of the most fantastic short stories, most of which Hollywood uh, took on, turned into films, made him a millionaire. And as I'm reading these, I'm thinking, yeah, they'll do. That's what I'll do. And I think maybe you, like a lot of authors, we're sort of magpies. You know, you see something and you kind of nick it. Um, but uh, does it work or not? I don't know. Everything that was written was actually uh, looked at by a girl who was our fixer and worked in the hotel in uh, in Argentina. And I sent it to her and I said, look, you understand uh, Carlos Paz. You've, you've been brought up there. You know what it's like. You know the lake and you know how the rally fits in. You know the number of people. I just need you to check this. And she would come back with ideas. So the writing process then became a two person thing um what with having a couple of two a couple of great authors to inspire me like muses and give me some ideas that works as well does it work i don't know it's all if people buy it then it will but the, the guy Morm, somerset Morm, was bang on in knowing what people wanted to read and i don't know what rally people want to read i don't even know if blokes want to read fiction i don't even know if they if they've got a kindle um because you know <laughs> to, to, but so it doesn't matter because I hope that when the book is out in October, the ladies in our life might say, I'm <laughs> buying this. What's Desborough charging here? He's got seven ninety nine on the back, 200 pages. Uh, he's got some pictures in there. You know, we blokes, we like pictures, don't we? Uh, yeah, let's do that. It's worth it. You know, Desborough might even take it for a £5 note. He's that desperate. So... I don't know whether it was or not, and there is lots of me in there. Uh, my son has read it, and my wife has read it, and they say, "Ah, oh, God, there's lots of Desper in there, which I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, there's one line, I'll read this line to you. This is the beginning of the third one. This is this is the beginning of going to Alguero, and, well, I'm, I'm a bit, yeah, you know, should I reveal my material so early? If you don't, if you don't like it, will other people like it? So, this is, Book three, Sardinia, Dust in the Wind. You know that old Kansas tune? There you go. Good example of, of Magpie. What a lovely tune. Dust in the Wind. Is our sport no more than dust in the wind? Sorry, we're getting too poetic here. Boy. Okay, here we go. The opening chapter, it's all about timing. A lovely, one, of the, one of the great themes of mine is co-driving. It's like good comedy. It's all about timing. I was late for a team meeting, and I needed a funny line to disarm and distract everyone. I reached for a favourite one, just as I got to the hotel on the outskirts of Algera. Where is this hotel? It's the one where we've always stayed when we've ever gone there. Sorry about this. The taxi driver from the airport got stuck behind a Lamborghini. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's one of my favourite lines. I would have got hit faster. Well, I got stuck behind a Lamborghini. Well, maybe your wife will still like I, it. I, I, I want to. I want to know. I want the audiobook version of you reading it, John. <laughs> if we can get that, that 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 will just make all my Christmases well, and birthdays. It does exist. And here, another dilemma. I because this is such a world sport, we've got to have world characters in there. So my yeah. ex come from around the world, and they're different ages. So I've created little personalities for them. I got a, I got a Spanish guy in there. I got uh, two guys who I call Bryn and Finn. Because I like, I think you know, if you've got a comedy duo and the names rhyme on a on a team mechanics, literation works. Literation oh, always works. Going to help you around the world. So I need to do some accents. 
Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You're laughing. You can he do the exit? Can you get the exits off? So I'm on to Trevor Agnew, the great Trevor Agnew, and I said, Trevor, tell me, do the accents work? And he's such a gentleman, he wouldn't tell me whether my Irishman, my Irish mechanic, whether that accent works or not. Now, that is actually based on a guy who comes from Letterkenny, the great, the great hub of Irish rally. Having had a go at the, um, the Donegal, um, I thought, I've got to bring in some of that Irish rallying because let's not forget the Irish. They get rallying like nobody gets rallying. That is that place is just mad for it. I remember going there 20 years ago for the Donegal Harvest, which was a one dayer, and I saw more WRC metal in the car park outside the town hall than I'd seen on any round of the WRC Championship. And I thought, how have you managed to afford all of this over here? So I needed an Irish character, and he's Charlie from Bally Buffet. <laughs> A place that actually exists. It so does. It does. Check that when you're doing it as a book. Yeah, barely buffet now. How would that be spelled? And I don't know if on the audio book where the accent works. And my son listened to it. That, that wasn't the accent. So there was it. He's Welsh. He's a Welshman. From, from, uh, <laughs> my son said to me, Dad, Dad, accents. Yeah. Well, I, I, I still think, like Tony said, you need to do the audio book because that's definitely going to be the way forward with this one there's definitely I would I would I would pay good money for that John I would have I would pay good money for you to be sat alongside me metaphorically speaking <laughs> doing the audiobook in the car as I'm on a long drive well, um, they, do, they do exist on a place called smokeandrubber.com you that can, sounds like something completely different oh, no. John they, they exist <laughs> there but I want you to remember I want you to picture how much I shook and rattled as I was thinking, does anybody want to listen to this? Have I got this right? Can I get this off? And then that other voice in my head said, come on, for goodness sake, you talk for a living. Get on with but it. Not, not only do you talk for a living, though, I mean, you've been so close to the sport now for, for 20 years. I mean, what, what are your sort of golden moments in that time? You know, what, what are the stuff, the things that stand out to you? Well, well, sto well the story of stories maybe. 2017 and uh, the uh, the championship wins with M Sport and Malcolm. That was a that was a very big big moment. I remember looking at Porter thinking we have got to get this right today. We have really got to be in our metal. We've really got to be sharp because we could have three championships and three winning situations coming home here. That was a big one. Petter in 2003 in Corsica when he wrapped the Subaru around a pole and then came back and won. Uh, they were really big, but the the moment that has inspired me most, and I think I've dined on most, and has has caused me to put into this as fiction was Colin driving me round Greystoke in 1999 when he just signed for Ford, and I hadn't met him. And Sky News sent me out there to go and meet him, and they said, just do the life story interview. Get some pictures of the car, because Ford seemed to think he's going to do big things. And I've got a photograph here uh, of that moment, which I found a couple of years back. And they strapped me in his Ford, put the helmet on, plug in the Pelter connector, bring my microphone down, and strap me into a rally car for the very first time. And as we all know, you cannot move. And at that point, I can hear him breathing and I can feel my pulse. There's a lot of pulse in this book. When there's tension, there's pulse. When there's danger, there's a wind going to blow in, a bit like Finland. So the pulse is banging away in my ear. 
and I'm sitting there shaking, thinking, what's coming up? And I actually wear it. The funny thing is, I'm wearing, I'm wearing, almost wearing the suit from the office in the rally car. And they haven't, they, they would never have found a set of five proof overalls for me because I'm six or six. Anyway, I'm sitting there. So I turn to McRae and I ask him this question because we got there an hour early and I said with the camera, look, we've got to go and see what this stage is or what or this road. We've got to see where we're going to put the camera. We need to put you in one place for the first run and then we need to move you somewhere else. Uh, and it's your obvious uh, cliche camera, dirty, great, big thing on a tripod. And McRae's going to drive around to give you lots of dust. It was about September, October time, I think it was, in 1999. And uh, I'm thinking, what I don't like about this is that that particular stage, Ryan, you might know it, you've probably driven this, yeah, ends well. with a big drop down into a kind of compression, and then it goes up through some logging and down the other side, out the gate, onto the main road, which I think goes to Sellerfield. But what worried me was 300 foot down here on the left of the car, which coming around the corner was very likely, I didn't know at the time because I didn't know how rally cars worked, very likely to be out of shape, was a 300 foot drop and a field of cows sitting there eating the grass, minding their own business. And that's what worried me. I didn't like the look of that because I kind of, you know, I knew what he'd done. I knew what he was like. So I turned to him. I said, Colin, could, 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 could you just tell me, ha, ha, have you, have you driven this stage before? I'd just like to know. And he looked back at me as only he could, and he said, no, it's the first time today. At which point I thought, you know, because uh, I knew of his reputation, and I had now seen where we were going, and then, you know, the door closes and off you go, and that first time is, is why they say no one can hear you scream in a rally car. Um, well, in those days they couldn't, but now you can hear everything. <laughs> yeah. uh, and if you if you had that that uh, famous magic wand to just try and sprinkle a bit of magic dust on the championship at the minute, pretty very much from a British angle, would it be British success? Do you think that's what we're lacking? Yeah, Chris Meek once in Portugal before he wanted to be. What's he going to take for this championship to light up? And I said, you got to win some. It's plain and simple. You got to win and keep winning uh, because once once that happens. You know, things will begin to happen. But, of course, Britain being Britain is England, isn't it? Yeah. Chris was Northern Ireland and there was that sort of ambiguity. Elvin being Welsh, we can work with that. But Cray being Scottish, we can work with that. But Chris, when he did begin to win, it didn't light up the way I hoped it would. Um, but it would definitely be – what would be a big lift for the championship would be Elvin Evans winning in that Toyota, which I think he's perfectly set to do this season, provided he's stayed sharp while he's been, you know, sat at home counting his money this season. <laughs> because for a long time, I think he's been paying people to get into a car or he's been, he's been driving for luncheon vouchers and second-class postage stamps, you know. But now Tommy's come across, pushed the contract across the table. He's probably looked at it and thought – is that decimal point really? Is it really on that part? Really, is all those noughts and the decimal points there? So I think. Um, Are you saying his M Sport contract wasn't like that? He's he saying there wasn't many noughts on it, or, or there was just one zero on it, was there? Was well, that I'm it? Out sealed until I can find a couple of fictional characters to wrap that story around. Um, I think he's ready to go. I think he's now he's got it. He's 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 free. He's his own man. And uh, and this season, while Oitanek works out how that car really works, uh, which he was trying to do at Monte Carlo until he did what he did, um, Elvin's got a chance this year, provided he stayed match fit. Wow. Be good, wouldn't it? 
it would be it would be mega and as i say that uh, it would be great to find uh, a solution in, in, in to kind of get it going again i just uh, i just fear that we've just got such an array now of options for people to to, to, to go in dipping and out of sport wise and and there's, there's that captive audience you know, I, I'm I'm guilty of it myself. You know, even I can't remember the last time I watched a complete football match. And I used to watch yeah. as a kid. You know, I come from Liverpool, grew up football, boxing, yeah. and I was the odd one out who, who was into rallying. But you know, as a whole, my staple diet was was football and boxing. I genuinely cannot remember the last time I watched a full football match. Mm. So, and you know, the same with F1. The same with you know, you, you'll have to look at touring cars now. You know, it's 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 fantastic. It's on it's on all day. And yes, I'm sure there's people who watch it all day in the UK. But I think on the whole, people are dipping in and out. I think that's ten to what happens. Yeah. So our attention span is it, you know is it our attention span? I don't know. I just yes. wanted to get going. No, no it is, and this was a problem at Sky when I left them early in the decade. People were watching ninety minutes of football. They were trying to find how, ways of making people watch ninety minutes of football. Uh, they invented short golf. They've already invented short cricket. It's called 2020. And, um, you know, England once won the World Cup at 2020. And now they say batsmen don't know how to hit a ball because they've got no patience. Well, they've got no patience because they don't want to play for four or five days. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, my argument there was, was the World Rally Cross, was that the short form of our game? Is that the future? Or is there room for both? Is there room for championship that goes on for, what, shakedown Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, four days or four hours? There's, there's probably room for both, but you're right. We, the people that you want to get hold of, uh, their attention span, and I'm the same now, even at my old age, uh, is limited. And I remember talking to David Richards when he was uh, revealed as new chairman of Motorsport UK, is it what they call it now? Yes. And I said, what do you want to do as chairman? And he said, I want youngsters, teenagers, to be as enthusiastic about cars and motorsport as I was when I was a teenager. And I thought to myself, and I put the phone down, good luck with that. Incidentally, this is a funny story about, it illustrates what David Richards is. I sent him a text. He said, call me at one o'clock. Phone him at two minutes to one. His secretary put me through it. He said, you're early. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Ten seconds. Ten seconds. Yeah. Ten seconds for each yeah. minute. Hang on, I'll just count you down. You're early. By two minutes. Anyway, that's that's uh, a, sign, a, a sign of the kind of chat that he is. He said, I want people to be as enthusiastic about cars as I was when I was a teenager. But at the moment, people are getting enthusiastic about bikes. How yeah, do we yeah. get, where's the car fit in? You know, in Argentina, that's not a problem. Mexico, that's not a problem. Uh, you know, probably Japan. I don't know, but here. We're, we're almost not allowed to be enthusiastic about driving in this country anymore, though, are we? You know, especially, uh, especially enthusiastic driving. Yeah. yeah, I finally got hold of a car that's got a V8 engine and a 4.2 liter one at that, and I bought it so cheap because nobody else is mad enough to want to have that car, which I've been looking for for ten years. Finally got one, and the price of petrol is reasonable, but. You know, I fire it up and I can see my neighbours, you know, behind the curtains going, that dirty, that but, dirty polluter. It is the thing, right? This could be a generational thing. But is there, is there, is there a car today? Like, for instance, Brian, Brian knows this journey I've been on. I've just bought an old hot hatch that I wanted for years. Okay. So I've just bought a Fiesta Mark 1 XR2. So I had six of them when I was a kid. I've managed to find one. I've bought one. And I'm really excited by it, even though it's already a money pit. And I blame Ryan Champion because he encouraged me to buy it. But anyway, that's a different conversation. Right. But where I'm going with this is that, is my son in 20 years' time going to be looking at a car from today that he's going to aspire to want to own again? Yeah. 
And that, and, 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 and there is, it's maybe it, because it'll have one of those things called an engine. Yeah. yeah. You, you know what you know what I mean though. Oh, carbon fuels! You can't do that. Fuels, carbon. No, that's not on. Not on. Both my kids, quote unquote, are grown up. When they hit seventeen, it was a rite of passage. You get your test. You'll be independent, and then you can do what you have to do, and there'll be no excuse. Neither have a car. Neither drive. They both live in London. Don't need one. No. How are they going to get into you know our championship and our thing if they don't drive a car? Um, God bless him, uh, Brian Patterson, who sadly died over the weekend, was one of those guys who looked at roads and saw distances and crests and angles and things. You know, after a while, you start doing that. I start looking at them, trying to describe them all wrongly. I mean, all wrongly. I wouldn't, I wouldn't know, you know, fast right from a max right or whatever left or, you know. But people, I, when I describe how to get to the house, I throw in those terms and they think, they do say to me, what are you talking about? What's a 90 right? What's a crest? And outside the village, there is, you know, a max keep right over crest, don't cut, which is, uh, I, I described somebody in the pub. I said, that's how we would describe that big hill down by the farm. And he said, yeah, somebody once did try to do that in an open top triumph. And they, <laughs> they didn't survive to tell the tale back in the 70s. Um, but you, you do find yourself talking in those sorts of terms. But cyclists talk in those terms as well. They, they got a similar sort of language. Yeah. They use different language to me down the lanes by my house, funnily enough. That's not the type of language that they use with me. <laughs> John, I could talk to you all day, uh, and I really do appreciate your time. If people do want to find the book, how is the best way to go about it? Give us the platforms. How are You're we doing this? Gentleman. You're a great gentleman. Um, my good friend, Fiona Sarah, sent me a message saying, I've set up a page and emailed you with the details. This is hot off the press. I've not read this. So if there's one of those sorts of, if there's some of that, you know, friend content in there. <laughs> Not finished yet, but you can tell people the name of it is at John Desborough Breaking Point. You'll say, what is Breaking Point? It's the title of the book. See what I did there? Breaking Point. Okay. And that's breaking as in breaking to slow down as opposed to John having a breakdown during yeah, lockdown. Uh, well, it, it makes <laughs> us think what happens to our hero in there that we've called it Breaking Point. And that's the cliffhanger, and that's a really good place to stop. John, um, I, I thank you for introducing us to having a video conference call uh, in five years doing a podcast. <laughs> um, I, I do appreciate it. I feel like we, we, we've bonded enough for me to point out that you've got an uncanny resemblance at the moment to Yari Mati Latvala, and I genuinely think I could put out a picture of this particular podcast phone call, and people would believe that we've had Yari Mati on as well at the same time. <laughs> well, thank you. You did say Angus Deaton. <laughs> John Desperate, thanks so much for joining us. Absolute Valley, folks. We'll be back after this break. This is Absolute Rally. Absolute Rally continues to be partnered by the Kielder Works team, who remain fully committed to the sport and are pioneers of the latest technology. Kielder cordless tools are tailored for all forms of competitive action. Go back to the future with the Kielder Works team. Welcome to the final section of Absolute Rally. I thought it would be quite a good time to check in with the guys who were out on the, well, the opening round, as it turned out to be, of ERC, which is the Rally de Roma Capitale. Um, and I wanted to try and 
try and get an idea, I suppose, of, 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 of what the new, the brave new world was like. You know, we'll, we'll, of course, we'll talk about the rally, but I wanted to understand really how it was, of course, you know, kind of post-COVID, pre-COVID or, or kind of during COVID. I don't quite know where we are in different parts of the world at the moment with the, 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 the dreaded COVID word. But uh, I thought a good person to reach out to would be Julian Porter, who, of course, was there as ever covering free RC. Hello, Jules. You OK? Yeah, not too bad. All good. Well and safe. Uh, nice well and safe, be. which is the main Thank thing. Thank you. Well, it's a, I, I've had have had three coronavirus tests in five days. <laughs> At the moment, I'm quite clean. I'm not too bad. You're the cleanest you've ever been. You're the cleanest you've ever been. Bless yeah. you. There you go. There you go. Hey, listen. I, I get, again, before we even start talking about results and stuff, obviously, you know, you've been around rallying forever and a day. Obviously, this was. I suppose I know there was other rallies going on in Scandinavia and things like that during the COVID kind of period and then in other parts of the world. But I suppose this was the biggest high profile event we've had um, coming back. How was it for you? How how different was it for you guys? Uh, as you say, yeah, it was the first FIA sanctioned event since Mexico. So the doors kind of shut on Saturday night in Mexico and reopened rally week of uh, the first round of the European Rally Championship and, and it was really good and everything and you know I, I, I won't I won't lie we, we all kind of thought yeah 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 we'll be back rallying we'll be back rallying it, you know I mean this will blow over uh, and it didn't uh, and uh, it was kind of like right really okay and then in, you just saw several rally championships world championships European championship rallies being postponed rallies being moved being cancelled and it was just that every week there was another. I mean, WRC took a big hit, didn't they? Two rallies in two days, three rallies in a week with Finland, GB, and, and then New Zealand. And you were like, we might not get any rallying this year. Well, there is worse things happening in the world. And we got the email. We got the, we had like the, the Zoom call, so to speak, as everyone's doing now. We're going to Rome. And I, all these ideas and all these plans that were coming from Bruno De Panza, who ran the rally, the Motorsport Italia boss, uh, John Baptiste from Eurosport Events, ERC Championship Manager. And we're listening to all these things that they're saying they're going to put into place. And I'm thinking, wow, this is amazing. This is brilliant. You put the phone down and you kind of think, it'll never happen though, will it? It can't happen. You, the, the country's in lockdown. The world's in lockdown. We're going to go rallying. And every morning, the week up to the event, I was waiting for, woke up every morning thinking there's going to be an email here or a text saying we're not going and it never came and i got on a flight on the monday morning and flew to rome and was like wow uh, this is this is actually happening and and i'll be honest with you less people traveling airports are virtually empty yeah there's virtually nowhere to eat in airports everywhere's closed you're wearing a mask strangely though the, the traveling is probably easier now because this there's like only 10% of the people traveling. So actually the traveling is a little bit more pleasant. You've got to wear a mask. <laughs> you get used to it. But you do get used to it. You, you, you do get used to it. So it is one of those things. And we went to the tests. We went to the rally. <clears throat> Whenever you walked into anywhere official, you obviously were temperature checked. Um, rally Roma and Eurosport, they come up with this like system with the, like barcoding. So we all had our own identity barcode on our passes. And wherever you went, service park, media center, rally HQ, uh, place like that, you were, you were temperature checked 
and then your barcode was read. And so you were logged at that location at that time with that temperature. Wow. Hand sanitizer everywhere. And, and you know, you couldn't have really have done any more. It was mandatory. It was an FIA sanctioned event. Mask had to be worn at all times in public. If you're in your road car driving between a stage on your own, you don't need to wear a mask. If you're sharing a car or you're doing stage end interviews, media zone interviews, you have to wear a mask. It, it, it was like an FIA stipulation. As I said, you got used to wearing the mask. I went to, I went to my room one night and did all my stuff for the next day, packed my bag for the next day. Right, okay, yeah. Got, got us kind of sorted, took my shoes off, took my socks off, went to brush my teeth. I still had my mask on 10 minutes later because <laughs> I just got used to wearing my mask. Yeah. And what, 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 was it, the, what was the service park like, you know, with regards to, you know, was it close to the public or how, how did that yeah. work? Everything was close to the public. Rally Roma was, was a non-spectator event. Uh, granted, in the villages and the towns, there were obviously going to be people because they lived there. But spectators were encouraged not to, not to run. Uh, Eurosport events, we put some stages on Facebook Live so that there was an encouragement to keep people at home. Rally Radio was on Eurosport uh, on the app and everything. So there was definitely people who could contact and be involved with the event by not even having to go on it. So that was, that was good. But service part-wise, yeah, again, all, all blocked off. There was two service parks. They even split it so there was less people in. Instead of everyone cramming into one, Everyone got a little bit more room, and they split it over two big car parks. And the system was exactly the same. A temperature check, barcode reader, uh, hand sanitizer. You went in. You, that was done on the way in, and then it was done on the way out. So you were checked in, and you were checked out. So right, he, Julian Porter has left this service park on these times. And, oh, 10 minutes later, he's checked into the other service park, or he's checked into the, to the media center or somewhere. And you just got used to it. You know, it's just like going to like a, a check-in on the plane, you know what I mean, at the gate. Yeah. Zap your, get, get your, get your pass zapped. Oof, Julian Porter's been here. And do you think that's going to be the, 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 the way things are done now moving forward? And, you know, I, I, I don't mean, you know, necessarily just to do with, I suppose, what we're trying to protect ourselves against, of course, with the greater COVID and everything. But do, do you see this as, a, as, as perhaps a way of, I suppose, of... What's what's the best way? You know, we we know we, we know how strict it can be with passes at the best of times. You know, racing is a very different aspect. We've all worked at race circuits and stuff like that, and that, that's a, even more strict again. You know, to get into certain places, but this almost feels like it's uh, is it dare I say making it even more? I feel more professional. I don't know. Am I doing? I don't know if that's the right way to say it. Well, maybe, but there were what there was was other restrictions, and we've got to remember Rally Roma, Rally de Roma Capitale was the first event back, so there will be things that will be used. I'm now actually sat on a test stage road in Latvia uh, for round two of the championship, and then in a couple of weeks we go back to the restart of the WRC in Rally Estonia, and I, I believe that the, obviously because FIA run both of these championships. The FIA, uh, we might have evolutionized and revolutionized a little bit from Rome to now, to Latvia. And again, we'll make another step when we get to Estonia. By the end of the year, it could be a very, very different position that we're all in. And I, I, I'm hearing stories of, of how to try and limit people. So what was happening in Rome was you either went to the stages. So this was like photographers and journalists. No one was allowed at a stop line other than the promoter, photographers and the promoter TV and one 
national media. So we were doing stage ends, and it was either you was a promoter of Eurosport events, and then one Italian person. And this is what the talk is going to potentially be in the future for other events. I don't know whether it or it might ease out a little bit, but the whole thing is to try and just limit the amount of people who are around areas. And in Rally di Roma Capitale, the, the media zones were engineer-free. It, it was just literally media zone or media. Uh, the, the team engineers were not allowed to go. Normally now you see a media zone on a rally and it's just full of engineers talking to the drivers. That wasn't allowed. Any engineering meeting had to go on over the telephone. So again, that limited the, the, the basically the engineers could only stay in the service park. They couldn't come out of the service park and go into the media zone and then go back to the service park. So they were limiting where people, people's movements to try and keep everybody safe rather than loads of different people mingling with loads of different people and then dispersing into loads of different areas of the rally. So that's what they're trying to do by limiting where people can, where people go basically. Right, you're, you're an engineer, where do you need to be? Well, I'd like to be in the service park, I'd need to be in the media. You can only be in one of those, which one you're picking? I'll pick the service park. Okay, you're a journalist. Where do you want to go? Well, I'd like to go to the, uh, the press conference. I'd like to go to the media center, uh, the, uh, the service park and the stages. Well, you can only do maybe one of those or two of those at a maximum. Which one do you want to do? Well, I'll do the stages, right. You can't go to these places. And it's frustrating for, for the journalists and for the, for the photographers and people like that. But the FIA are not being difficult out of kind of spite. It's to try and keep everybody safe so we can all go rallying again. Uh, do you really need to go into the service park? Uh, you can go into the service park on a Wednesday or a Thursday, maybe. But once you leave that service park area and go into the stages, you can't come back to the service park. It's to try and just limit huge people moving around and, and mingling with loads of different people. So uh, that's basically what they were trying to do in Rome. We succeeded in Rome. Again, we'll probably have another step in Latvia this week. And then we might have another step again when we get to Estonia in a couple of weeks. And then, as I said, by the end of the year, we might have gone five or six steps. So uh, we'll see. It's, it's ever-changing, just like the whole world is right now. It's ever-changing. So, yeah, I wanted to obviously talk about the results as well, Jules. Um, dare I say, we, we, we're missing our champion at the moment, which is obviously Chris Ingram. We, we know he's working on deals to come, come back rallying, but... Um, I was going to say a dominant performance from lucky enough, but it wasn't really, was it? He didn't have it all his own way. Uh, no, he didn't. I mean, it was... Obviously, the Italians were pretty quick. Um, but the first stage of that rally in Rome is really kind of difficult. Uh, the Pico stage, it always catches people out. It caught out one of the favourites. Oh, two Ks in there. Crudinola crashing heavily in there. Uh, yeah, I mean, Basso was looking for Italian championship points. Once Krugnola disappeared, because uh, the Italian championship, they scored maximum points both days to kind of gain some rounds. So Lukanek was away. Oliver Solberg, obviously, very, very strong, uh, which we knew he would be, but I think even he was a bit, a bit surprised by how strong he was. So, so that was good for him. But Alexi, for me, that was Alexi Lukanek's best drive I've ever seen him do. Because we've seen looking at in the past in those positions and then going and crashing by trying to win another stage by overdriving. 
He didn't win another stage on. He didn't win a stage on Sunday. I don't think he won a stage after stage four or something because he didn't need to. And um, very mature drive. I, I his best, for me, his best drive. I and I think the other thing is as well as that. Dare I say? And it'll be interesting to see what's coming up. We'll talk about Lafayette in a second because obviously Mads Osberg's there as well, and I think that's going to be quite a good benchmark as well. But this, the, the C3R5, they seem to be. Uh, Santa Lock seems to be getting it. The longer they're with it, the long the, it seems to be getting better, and there seems to be more reliability. Certainly, what they've had in other championships. It, it is. I, I kind of always initially when it first came out, I thought it'd be like a tarmac car, you know, French French dominated kind of a tar- tarmac, and I thought it's going to be a tarmac car, but it's proved very good. I, I know there's been a huge amount of work on it. Uh, but as you know, the, these cars are, are customer cars. So if, if it keeps breaking down, it doesn't matter how fast it is. If it keeps breaking down, no one's going to want to buy it. Uh, I know Mads did a huge amount of work on it. Uh, but these cars have got to be bomb-proof, like we've seen with the Fiestas from M-Sport and things like that. They need to be able to be very drivable for many different ranges of people. And I, I think potentially from what I can gather from drivers, the new Fiesta Mark II is a lot more edgy and maybe not as user-friendly across the whole range than what the first original R5 Fiesta was. So that and, and some people are taking a lot more adapting, whereas from what I can gather, when you jumped into an R5 Fiesta, the first version, you could just go fast straight away and then you could make it faster by re- redefining it. But now the, the, this new car is, is a bit more edgy and you've got to really work a bit harder on it. But when you get it right, it's fast. These cars have got to be very, very easy to drive, very good baseline. Ditchon seem to have got that. It's got a lot stronger now as well because it was very fragile. So let, let, let's see what it goes like. I mean, it, it's, it, it, as I said, it seems to be good everywhere. Gravel, tarmac, it, it is very good. The Polo is very strong. To me, if we're honest, you look through all of these R5 cars, they are all very, very competitive. It's exactly what it says on the tin from the FIA. Buy your car at this price and you will be competitive to a degree. Yeah. I suppose the curveball in all that was it was coming into this was obviously um, uh, Emma Lindholm and, and, and Craig Breen coming in with the, the MRF team, which was, you know, obviously we know they've got such great heritage in, in, in other parts of the world, obviously doing Asia Pacific for, for, for many, many years. But it was it was an unknown entity and very much with regards to tarmac you know i think there was concerns probably from from various quarters you know we we know they've got a good gravel package uh but tarmac was going to be the one where perhaps we're going to have to do a little bit of work now i'm sure there's still some work to do because we know the people behind it uh i've got such great heritage i'm sure we'll talk about in a second but um I was very, very pleasantly surprised and very impressed with the performance both by by Craig and and by Emil, believe it or not. Yeah, I, I mean, I I spoke to Vivek about from MRF and I said you've got to be happy with that, and he goes, "We're over the moon." He goes, yeah. "Exactly what you just said. We know our gravel tire is is potentially our most competitive tire. Uh, our tarmac tire is brand new." And they were fourth overall. And and I think when you start to look at stage times, Lindholm. Yeah, he had a couple of little dramas. But stage time-wise, there were some really encouraging performances in there. And Lindholm from Finland, I would say, is a gravel specialist, not a tarmac yep. specialist. I know these drivers now have to drive on all surfaces, and they can't be, in the past, like a specialist. 
That's a tractor going past, not a rally car. I don't think it sounds a bit strange. Uh, but yeah, Lindholm's tarmac performance was was what really kind of was equally encouraging than their, than, as, as well as their tyre performance as well. Because I was thinking that Lindo would be looking at gravel, looking at gravel. Oh, hang about. He, he, he's having a good run here. You know what I mean? So um, I, I thought they did a great job. I mean, we'll see how it gets on like, as, as rounds progress and things like that. But I think Craig did a test a month before. Uh, it was like a month before Rome. And they then re... They, they, after off the data they gained from that test, I think they re- made some completely new different compounds, which is what they were using in Rome. Uh, so that the tires were like less than a month old, so to speak. And, but yeah, and, and th- there will be a market for that kind of brand of tire, you know? We've seen it with other brands who might not be able to throw the mass resources at it like your big manufacturers of Pirelli and Michelin. But everybody needs to have a bit of competition and, and MRF are giving Michelin and Pirelli that competition. Uh, and if it can be slightly cheaper, they, they will pick up some, some very, very good privateers as well. I, I, I think so. I think the, the other thing is as well, of course, is when you do get a brand coming in like, you know, like MRF or, or, or certainly other brands over the years, of course, is that they, you know, they, they bring, I suppose, a fresh uh optimism i suppose because we we all know the the, the top line brands and they're there and that's the tire and that's you know you, you kind of get on with it whereas there's always deals to be done and there's branding and things like that i suppose by a bit like in our day jules there's always a deal to be done whereas perhaps there isn't always a deal to be done with some of the other brands so i i you know i i applaud it coming forward and uh yeah as i say i think there's there's, there's going to be plenty more to come but just before we, we we move away you mentioned them before of course um uh, again oliver solberg uh we, we all know it's in the genes anyway but uh, again i'm i'm still i'm still being impressed by this lad because you know there was a lot of uh, th- there's been a lot of um what's the best way of putting this uh, there's been a lot of attention um, brought to him, obviously, because obviously his father and stuff like that. But he's he's very much now standing on his own two feet, which which I think is needs to be massively applauded. Now, um, you know, the Solberg name, as we've seen with other names in the past, could have been a hindrance to him almost at, at, at times. And people will always go, yeah, but he brought, you know, there's money there and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, when the flag drops, as the well-known man used to say, it all stops, doesn't it? You've got to go and prove yourself. And he is now proving himself. I, I think he's, he's, he's so mature in every way. The way he, he carries himself in, 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 the, in press conferences, media zones, uh, in stage-end interviews. And then just how he always looks at it. And, you know, road, let's just take road picking for an example in Rome. He was third quickest, I think, in the qualifying stage. So he got to pick third. Lukanuk was fastest, I think, Lukanuk, Basso. Anyway, those two were Lukanuk and Basso. They picked second and third on the road, leaving the number one slot empty. And then Oliver went and took number one. And I was like, well, that's a bit brave. Uh, You know, I thought he would have gone like four and we would end up with the first car on the road would be someone who was further down the order and was just left with number one. And I asked him, I said, Oliver, I said, taking number one there. I said, uh, not, not worried about like lying from other people. And he went, there's three world rally cars doing the rally stars event in front of me. And he says, 
Lube, Sordo, Pedro. He goes, those guys will leave black markets if there's any moments. He says, I want to be following the likes of Sordo and Lube's lines. He says, so I've got my lines. He says, there's quite a lot of cutting on the first day. If I run seventh, if I run fourth in the ERC on the road, he says, actually seventh rally car on the road. So my road would be dirtier. So he said, I've gone first. He said, of the ERC, but I'm actually fourth car on the road. Wow. And everyone went, when he said it, everyone went, we were just oh. thinking about ERC cars. Yeah. We weren't thinking about the three world rally cars in front of us, cutting every single corner, pulling all the dirt out. And straight away, you know what I mean? The penny drops. The, the guy's thinking on a different level. Yeah. He, 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 he's, he's thinking of what was in front of him, what else was happening, because they ran ahead of the ERC as a show event. Yeah. And just because it was a show event didn't mean they weren't cutting corners. I'm yeah. pulling out dirt, leaving black marks in breaking areas. You know, there's little telltale signs that you see. And that was what he did. And I was like, fair play. First on the road in ERC, but he's looking at the bigger picture. There's more than just the ERC cars here. Yeah, no, that's clever. That's clever. Again, you know, he's he's being schooled. We all know he's being schooled very, very well, for obviously from 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 the old man and everything else. But uh, yeah, that, that that is maturity at its best, isn't it? Obviously, he goes into rally noise. Go on, then. Yeah, rally noise. You've been you've been thrived of it for a little while. Let's have some. That's it. Skoda Fabio just driving past. I was just because I'm sat in my car and on the test road, so. Let's go to Fabio just driving past, just just to give you a bit of a. a there you go. Of, yeah, that's it. It's, it's, it's like we're doing this live, isn't it? That's what I love. That's like we're doing this live. <laughs> yeah, there's a very <laughs> Listen, you're in La- well, you're in yeah. Latvia, and we've just been talking, of course, about Oliver Solberg. He was also on the entry list for for, for Latvia. Obviously, Lucky Nooks there, um, Mads is there as well. Craig Breen's back there. Nicholas Greislin. Uh, you know, there's some again. There's some proper names uh, on on this second round. Obviously, some a bit nearer to home for us. Dykes of um, Callum Devine and uh, friend of the show who, who's been on a couple of times Alex Karani sat alongside Sean Johnson but what do we know about this event uh, Jules and what do we know about the drivers that have been here before and, and what are we kind of expecting I guess oh, I mean as you said Gryzen is a two time winner uh, he just won a rally uh, in I can't remember where the rally was. He just won a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Matt has actually been in Latvia here. Because uh, he lives in Latvia, even though he's Russian. Lives in Riga. Cry's going to be very strong. Uh, Oliver won it last year. Lukanuk's been fast here in the past. So, you know, there's, 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 there's a lot of a lot of top drivers. You then mentioned Matt. And I think some of this, obviously for people like Cry's and Matt, they're getting themselves back up to speed for Rally Estonia in a couple of weeks. Uh, and they've actually been helped by the ERC restarting because they can get, and this is very similar. The roads here are very similar to Estonia, you know, very wide, fast flowing, and crests and things like that. Very high speed rally. The rally last year changed into two separate days, so to speak. And this year is running very, very similar, virtually the same. And the first day runs in, in the region of Talsi. So about an hour and 55 minutes out of, uh, Leopire, where the rally's based. And the, the stages there, they have the wide sections, but also there's a lot more technical, narrow sections. And, and then you go to Sunday stages, and it's just big, wide, fast-flowing, six-gear rev limiter stuff. So there is two different days here. Um, 
dust. It, it's not bright sunshine today. It's been overcast, but very, very, very dry. The road are dust could be an issue. But then you think, and when am I going to pick on the road on on the first day? Do I go at the front so I don't have any dust? But then you've got a road clean because that dust is created by a huge amount of loose surface. So it, it, it's very, very loose on the top. So what do you do? Do you take the performance from the road and go 15th on the road if you're fastest in qualifying, pick the last available spot? Or do you and, and potentially potentially get dust dropping you a few tenths of a second per kilometre? Or do you go first or second on the road, not gain the performance out of the road, but potentially get no dust so you can keep committed? There's a real split I'll be asking Oliver Solberg when he's going to be honest with you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but you know, the, 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 there is advantages of being at the front, yeah, and disadvantages as well as being at the uh, on the fifteenth on the road. Uh, good and bad in both areas. What's so the, what's the what, what, what is the what? Are, I know it's fast, Jules, but what what is the surface like? Is it quite abrasive? You know, what, what what's it like? <laughs> Well, it it, it, it it cleans up really quickly, so it does become abrasive. Yeah. Um, but it's kind of it, it, it will get rut up as well in in bigger braking areas and, and in in uh, acceleration areas. It, it's quite soft. Again, it's like a stone. It's quite soft in places. But, you know, when you're flat out in six gear, you're just skimming across the top of it. But that's when it becomes a little bit unstable and it starts to move around. So it, it's. It's, I still suspect these drivers will go towards the back and take the gamble with the dust. You know, that's what I think they'll do. Um, that then increases their tyre wear. But let's just see. It, it, it is it, it is so difficult because if it was to rain, you want to be at the front anyway. Yeah. But I, I, you might take an, a seventh or eighth or something and, and take try and hit it in the middle. But the surface wide, just the test road I'm looking at now, yep, that'll clean up. There's probably an inch or two of... Uh, of stuff that the rally cars will quickly get down to and a racing line and then after that you'll start to get more and more of a line and it'll rut and things there so it's it's just like a traditional rally but it's very very high speed and the car at high speed can start to step out of line a little bit and get a bit unstable if it's a little bit loose best way obviously to, to keep in touch is via the ERC app where you can listen to yourself and Chris Rawls doing stage end of course yeah, ERC, uh, FIA ERC app or the website, there's, the, there's links on both of them to listen to the radio. Radio is normally from every stage, every stage end. And then we have four or five, I think four stages on Facebook Live, Facebook or YouTube, but Facebook Live. Plus the start ceremony tomorrow, no, not tomorrow night, Friday night start ceremony and road picking is live on Facebook. Two stages, I think, on Saturday. Media zone at the end of Saturday. Two stages, I think it is, on Sunday. So keep across uh, all of the platforms and you'll find out what's going on when. So the, the Twitter feed normally gives updates from every stage, driver comments and things like that. So um, it's it's pretty, pretty hard not to know what's going on if you've got a, a, a smartphone with social media. Good. I'm looking forward to it. Jules, thank you for joining us. It's always a pleasure to talk. Folks, that has been episode one, season 21. We are back. You can now listen to us via Podbean, the tuning app as well, so you can ask Alexa to listen to us. Uh, AbsoluteRally.co.uk, of course, iTunes, Spotify. We're across every platform. And we'll be back same time, same place, in your little podcast hold next week. Absolute Rally, powered by the Kielder Works team. Spread the word and download the podcast every week.